Talks, a chat with Finance Malta, is the podcast series that gives you short, thoughtful and regular insights from leading experts of the financial services industry. I'm Vanessa MacDonald. Welcome. Welcome to the latest in the Finance Malta FinTalks series. And with us today, we have Nicholas Kurmi, who is a partner for Capital Markets at Ganado Advocates. Nick, we're here to talk about sustainable investment. It's a bit of a buzzword at the moment. But I think it's really interesting to try and figure out what is driving it. Is it um, from the top down or is it grassroots? In other words, stakeholders, shareholders, regulators? Mm-hmm. Well, first of all, thank you for having me on the podcast. Um, in terms of what what is driving sustainable investment, I'd say it's a bit of everything. But maybe for the benefit of our listeners, we could set the scene as to what sustainable investment actually is. So we keep hearing the, the, the buzzword, the acronym ESG, what does it mean? And essentially, a sustainable investment is an investment in an activity that has ESG objectives. The thinking here is that an investment in ESG in the long term is going to be better from an economic perspective for that business and obviously for the the broader economy. So we've got the E in ESG, which is environmental, and here we've got clearly defined factors set out in in the law and the taxonomy regulation. S, which is the social, um, and they're obviously talking about social impact and investing, and, and the G. Now, the G is not... By the way, and taking a step back on the social investing, there isn't a clearly defined set of parameters as to what social is meant to be at this point in time. Uh, and then you've got the governance, and the governance is more of a common theme across the whole ESG spectrum. So whether it's environmental or social, you've got to have good governance, long-term thinking. In fact, know, the MFSA issued guidelines about good the, the governments. Yes, exactly. Absolutely. So they're they're working very hard on on how to improve governance in regulated entities. Which is really interesting because, in fact, the MFSA has actually got guidelines about uh, governance, and an awful lot of people are actually realizing that it's actually in their own long-term interest as a business model. But also going back to this idea of it being expected from investors, no. Yes, that's that's the point, really. So although you can't necessarily uh, expect companies to act in their long-term best interest because they're always looking at profit in the, the short term, it's good to have investors applying a bit of pressure there and requiring them to, to act in a certain way. Now, how, how do they do that? And going back to your question on who's driving what, I think the the key driving force is going to be obviously the the legislation that's driven by the political uh, objectives which is in turn obviously driven by the reality the fact that we've got wars going on you know human rights issues across the world marginalized communities these are real issues uh, climate change is not as some you know conspiracy theorists might have you believe uh, a myth? It it actually exists. So the problem is there. And then how do we get the world to change? And usually you get a person to align their behavior with or get them to do the right thing by actually regulating them. So we've got various laws out there at the moment that are at least trying to nudge people in the right direction in terms of disclosure. So far when we look at 
uh, ESG and the capital markets, we're looking at disclosure-based regimes where you're classifying what it, is, what it really means to be environmental or, or social, what these factors are, and creating a, a model for transparency so investors have the tools at their disposal to then make the right investment decision, or at least if they can compare an investment between one which is environmentally conscious and one which isn't, and otherwise is more or less equivalent in other respects, then they might choose to go for the environmentally you know, sensitive option. So you've said that, obviously, that there's pressure from the top, but tell me a little bit more about the pressure from the bottom in terms of activism. Because, let's say, climate change is at the forefront of, of people's minds or has been in, in recent years, and you can also look at it as having a younger generation of investors that are more conscious about these, these global issues. You have a lot of shareholder activism where they are now asking companies to think more long-term. And long-term is really thinking about environmental and social issues as well. For example, there was one of the larger hedge funds that exist at that point, Capital, that had actually put significant pressure on Shell Corporation, right, to demerge its oil and gas activities and try to shift towards green energy and invest significantly in renewables. And this even potentially at the cost of, of returns. So that was a good example of seeing how shareholders... Short-term returns as well. Oh, well, short-term returns. this is the whole exactly, issue, isn't exactly. it? I mean, you can, uh, you can offer a shareholder, do you want the, a little bit now or a lot now, but... What's going to happen in 20 That's years' it. time? So you still want to be uh, alive, really, in 20 years' time in terms of a company, no? Yeah, so it's good to see, you know, these terrible hedge funds that are, you know, known for, you know, maximizing profit in the short term, think think long term about their, their investments and I mean, what's, what's better for the, the world, really. But um, Nick, one of the problems is that the the whole landscape is becoming so very complex in terms of, you know, uh, the information there. Fair enough. As you mentioned, there is the taxonomy and so on. However, you know, when, when it comes to things like the touchy-feely stuff, like social, for example, and so on, how what would you suggest with regards to investors trying to actually find out what is best for them? Well, uh, as I mentioned earlier, you've already got certain defined parameters when it comes to the, the environmental factors. Those are, those are reasonably well developed and well, potentially the legislation is becoming overly complex, but that happens you know, in, in, in any area, unfortunately. The social is not yet clearly defined and I think we're still expecting some new proposals at EU level to come out there to help guide. But, I mean, if you're an investor and, and you really care about these sorts of issues. I mean, um, you're looking for things like human rights, marginalized communities, as I mentioned earlier, activities that can help the greater good in, in the long term, the greater... It's interesting to, to leave something like that to companies, though, because as you say, these yes. are kind of I mean, uh, very often government policies as well, no? Yes, as in you, you asked what the investors can do. I mean, the investors can use their, their, their logic and do their own research. Companies, again, w whether you can rely on their, their moral imperative to act in the right way, is it's, it's not usually the way to do things. Nick, we've spoken about shareholder activism. Is that the only way that shareholders are, are making their, their voice heard? Can they just put 
pressure on the companies in any other way? Uh, yes, they can, and, and they are doing it in, in the form of, of litigation, and we're oh. seeing this in a number of jurisdictions. <laughs> okay. So the shareholder activism we saw or we discussed earlier uh, is is in the form of you know, someone taking a major stake in an entity and then forcing the discussion of the issues. Litigation is where shareholders, you know, take things a step further and then, you know, go to court and say, we need you or you should be acting in this way because you've breached a, a duty perhaps towards us as shareholders or, or towards someone else. And they don't even need to be majority shareholders to do no. that. Anyone can do that. Generally, if you have a juridical interest, I mean, it varies from legal system, but the common concept is if you have a juridical interest, you can bring a case. And in terms of litigation, there is a, a distinction between you know, punishing those who are not being green. And currently, there's no real legal basis to do that. And punishing those for making false green claims. Uh, we've seen a lot of the latter. And I think that's that's a concept called greenwashing, where you have companies that are, you have a fear of missing out, and they, you know, want to improve their reputation by being associated with ESG and also because they think it will help them sell more of their products and services. So you had, for example, VW, where they were taken to court and obviously were fined millions for claiming that they had better, cleaner diesel technology when they didn't. So that's greenwashing. It's it, You shouldn't claim you have um, the best interests of you know the environment at at uh, the forefront of your mind when when you don't. And there, the cases are being brought under existing consumer legislation. So you are effectively mis-selling. So that's one end of the spectrum. On the other end, like I said, you can't really fine a company for not being green. But there are cases which are at least showing a, a shift in investor mindset and the lengths they are willing to go on, perhaps even the courts, even though the legal basis might be a bit tenuous, to actually make companies act the right way. And there was a case in the the Netherlands recently where basically a Dutch court ruled that Shell had to reduce its emissions by 2030, I believe, to much lower than what they stated their targets were going to be. And there's absolutely no legal basis for that, at least not from what what I've seen and what various articles I've written about it. But it shows that courts are willing to maybe take that additional step. It will probably be overturned on appeal, but there's, there's, an, there's an effort there. There's an effort from shareholders and courts to maybe help out when it comes to these issues. Watch this space. Gosh, how interesting. We're talking about companies where there are external shareholders. So what about privately owned companies? Do they st- Are they reacting as well in the same way? I mean, it's one thing having a shareholder standing up um, and insisting on, on you know, a certain level of activism. But is it spreading to smaller companies, privately owned companies? That's a good are question. Are they doing the right thing? That's a good question. And I'd say probably not. So when you talk about ESG and and the regulations of companies that have to make certain disclosures or take certain things to, into account. These are larger entities or listed entities, entities in a particular industry. We're talking about uh, investment firms, you know, m- money managers. They're required to make certain disclosures. They're not required to actually 
do the right thing necessarily. You can't force companies to go green. So for the time being, it's part of this changing the, the mindset, getting people to disclose, getting investors to become more aware, and then gradually hoping that everyone will start to do the right thing. Well, if they've got people who are in their value chain, then eventually, once they've, you know, once they've, they've taken that yes. track, they can start putting pressure, saying that they would only buy... Yes, exactly. You know, they would only exactly. buy from providers or suppliers and so on. So. And, yes, one would think that that would be the way it, it will work, but it will take time. It's, it's a gradual process. One of the important points especially when it comes to how quickly this all happens, is this whole issue of returns. People expect returns on their investment, whether it's research or exploration or or actual activities and so on. Should we take it for granted that it's going to cost more and for the investors that the returns are going to be less? Maybe not take it for granted, but the the expectation is in the short term if you're going to move towards uh, ESG-related activities, then it's going to require some form of your own investment and your own money. And that's going to be to the detriment of of returns. But in the long term, if you've got a more sustainable uh, business activity, then the terms are... It's going to be better economically for the company and for its investors. And it's interesting to note that this, there have been some larger institutional players like Vanguard, who are a major uh, retail fund manager, uh, where they've actually said, look, we're not necessarily going to be investing in, in ESG. There's going to be, and they've actually withdrawn from certain ESG alliances because of their fiduciary duties towards investors. And the fiduciary duties are essentially we need to do what's best for the investor at any point in time. We need to avoid conflicts of interest. We need to give them the appropriate product. And ultimately, we need to give them a, a good return. And they've expressed the view that um, if you invest in ESG right now, you you shouldn't necessarily expect that but that's very equivalent or better I, return. Yes, I think that's super interesting because the more you make people feel that they have no choice, the more they're going to actually rebel against it. Yeah, but it that's, be, that's the reality. Yes, right? exactly. Yes, I mean, that's human behavior as well. So I, I think if there's a choice there, eventually, um, you know, there'll be enough people to, to sway the markets one way or the other. And there's nothing wrong with having different levels out there. Can we just have a quick look at the local situation. How many times have we heard that, you know, Malta is 90% or 99% SMEs, a lot of family companies, and not so many actual listed entities, especially when we're talking about equities as opposed to to uh, bonds. What is the situation here? Are you seeing enough take-up of sustainable investment? Well, I'd say the local market is, is still in its infancy. You can say that ESG as a concept is still in its infancy, Globally, and our market, unfortunately, given its size, generally takes time to to adapt. And there are certain initiatives being taken locally. A number of the larger listed entities have, um, many of which have have equity listed, have come together and formed an ESG alliance, um, which is commendable. And they are aiming to to lead by example, and they're trying to drive change. I believe both across the, let's say, listed entity spectrum, but also 
encourage SMEs to to do the same. And on top of that, you've got the Malta Stock Exchange that int- has introduced a green bond market or, or segment, which offers, let's say, discounted listing fees for for green bond products. But a lot of work still needs to be done there, and the, the stock exchange itself is, is aware of this. Um, I believe there's yet to be a green bond listing on the local market, because Again, this to- we we discussed the the point of increased costs when you first um, move into something new. If you're going to list a green bond in the local market, you need an accredited external reviewer. So that's going to come at an additional cost. If you weigh that against the discounted listed fees, it's not necessarily going to be cheaper for you to go for that green bond. So there need to be broader incentives in terms of carrot or stick. You know, the the, the carrot usually tends to be financial incentives and perhaps issuers of green bonds might get a certain tax break or investors in green bonds might receive a more beneficial tax treatment and therefore that would encourage them to invest more in green bonds and in turn encourage the proliferation of green bond issuers. So that's some of the things we could consider doing. But we're we're at least pointing in the, the right direction. Nick, you've given us an awful lot to think about. Thank you so much for doing this podcast for Finance Malta. My pleasure. Thank you. That's all for today. Subscribe now to the FinTalks and follow Finance Malta on all social media platforms to stay updated with all our activities. Till the next podcast.